0: found the diggin oak island podcast the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the oak island mystery i'm dave mcbride thank you guys so much for downloading and listening if you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast please consider helping us out by becoming a patron go to patreon.com slash diggin oak island to learn more All right, everyone, before we get started with the podcast, let me just mention the Patreon once again. If you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month for you, that's it. And you would like to see it keep going strong, please consider becoming a patron of our show. You can go to patreon.com slash dig Oak Island and sign up. Every patron gets exclusive access to an online chat, live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. And that chat is really my what I look forward to every week the most, for sure. So come and join us. And we had another great week for new patrons this week. This is just amazing. Let's welcome David, Nani, I think it is, or Noni, and Jeff. Uh, welcome to the family, all of you. Thank you so, so much for your support. Another three members in one week. That's just incredibly humbling, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, again, folks, go to patreon.com slash Oak Island to sign up. And support the podcast. Remember, it's only five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. And also, people ask me this all the time. If you prefer not to do the monthly thing, but you do want to make a one-time donation, the only way I can take those is via Venmo. Just uh, use username at Dave McBride Music. That's my uh, musicians. I'm a musician uh, professionally, and that's my sort of virtual tip jar. So you can make any kind of donation there. Thank you guys so much uh, for all of that. Everybody who's done that so far. Now. As always, we're going to start today's podcast with emails and messages from you guys, the listeners, my favorite part of the podcast. So I want to start with one of these new patrons. Here is Jeff, who writes smuggling operations. The group is be- is the best and really enjoy putting the pieces together on our collective adventure. One thing I tend to think about is how during the 1600s to 1800 time period, the French, English, Spanish Were all transients throughout this area and massive amounts of smuggling took place, most famously by our very own English colonies and even founding fathers. Is it too far-fetched to think Oak Island could have been a point of interest to support this? It seems to be positioned well as a landing spot for access to eastern seaboard and mainland mainland Mid-America. It would also support the William Phipps connection. I know far-fetched, but hey, that's why we watch ten-year fan and counting. It's not far-fetched at all, Jeff. In my mind, this is as plausible a possibility, if not more so, than a secret military operation to hide and retrieve treasures rumored about to be the ancient holy relics, or or whatever your your um, your theory might be. And to me, that that has most exclusively to do with the number of people. If we're going to compare your theory with something like that most exclusively to do with the number of people who did not want to be there, right? And the Navy you had sailors pressed into service, many former criminals uh, being asked to do something they li- likely stood very little chance to ever benefit from and really didn't want to do, you know? To me, this seems like a very difficult way to hide a clandestine treasure hunt and then keep it a secret for generations to come. But smuggling... That's a very different story. The entire nature of that business is to keep it quiet. And everyone involved stands to benefit from doing exactly that. So could this be a smuggling operation we're seeing, especially with lot five and things like that? It's as good, if not better, a theory than any I've heard so far. Now, the problem I have with all this and what is worth thinking about here for many theories, not just this one is yes, to some degree, you are correct in saying that Oak Island, quote, seems to be well positioned um, as a landing spot for access to eastern seaboard and mid mainland Mid-America. What I would say to that is open up Google Maps. <clears throat> Take a look at Mahone Bay. Oak Island is literally swimming distance to the mainland. We're talking about maybe 700 feet, less than two football fields away. Take a look at Mahone Bay. There are Dozens and dozens of islands there. If you really wanted to use an island to keep something secret from the world, would Oak Island be the best choice in that bay? I'm not so sure. If nothing else, you have to factor that into any theory you're working with. If someone went so far as to dig out a 100-foot deep hole in the ground and then go through the Herculean task it would have been to create the supposed booby trap flood system, Don't you think they would have found an island a little bit more remote, a little bit more hidden than this one? I mean, Oak Island, guys, it's right there. So in my mind, that kind of changes the nature of what could have been done here and also changes the nature of when these things could have been done. Anyway, and I think this really applies to European smuggling as well, if not even more so. By no means am I saying this is impossible, Jeff. On one hand, it makes a lot of sense. On another hand, if you think about it, maybe not as much there would have been just a, a, a much better place in that beta to, to center your smuggling operations. Just something for you guys to think about because you have most certainly Jeff given us something to think about here. Great stuff. All right. Let's go to an email from Mike who writes, Hey Dave, three things. One, when Laird mentions lot five rectangular feature, William Phipps and the money pit all in the same sentence, that's pretty exciting. Is that the most excited Laird has ever been on the show? Two, I like Aladdin's cave. I think it's interesting. And I love when they go underground with all the different technology they have. However, dropping a caisson down there worries me. The last time they dropped a caisson ended up being a colossal waste of time. The only thing they found was a boot. I don't know what other options they have, but hopefully it works this time. And three, since Dumas can't stop the flooding in the garden shaft, do the Laginas get some money back from Dumas? I would hope so. Uh, Also, do you think Dumas regrets digging this shaft this could, pretty, this could end up being pretty embarrassing for them. Thanks, Mike. All right, Mike, let's take these points one by one. We'll start with the first one with regard to Laird's excitement levels. I do believe that uh, this stuff we're seeing on Lot 5 is at least as excited as he's ever been about something we've seen on the show. As they peel back the layers of whatever this Lot 5 foundation really is and what it might've been used for, he seems to be getting more and more excited, right? And when we spoke to him last time, Uh, You could really hear it in his voice. Now, keep in mind, Laird gets excited about lost history. That's what an archaeologist does. So if you're in this for treasure, I'm not sure if Laird's excitement level about Lot 5 really matters to you. But if you're someone like me who considers the story to be a treasure, this project is really cool. I mean, this might be the first man-made, completely undocumented feature ever found on Oak Island by the Laginas. This in the Stone Road. Fascinating stuff. All right. As far as number two is concerned about Aladdin's cave, I think I might have said this last week, guys, I just don't see it here with this feature, and nor do I uh, see the justification for the expense time it takes to drop one of these cans down there. I'm just not seeing anything here so far that makes me think this is anything more than just a natural formation. But again, maybe the guys can prove me wrong. said that last week. And finally, with regards to Dumas, no idea about the money. Uh, I can't say much about how Dumas might be feeling about this project either. Anything I could add here would be nothing more than speculation, but while we're here, we might as well, right? They knew the risks. Uh, Dumas knew what they were getting into. They knew how many people have tried and failed to do exactly what they're trying to do here before them. And they must have known going in that they would not be able to control the narrative in all this, not be able to make themselves look good. It's good questions, Mike. Keep them coming. All right. Let's go now to Lee who writes, Morning Dave, hope you and the family are okay and life is good. Yeah, sure is. Just a few things I wanted to pick up on after your last podcast. One, you say, tongue in cheek I might add, that there are better people that could do this podcast with their knowledge. Simply not true. The way you bring all the people, into info, data, op- opinions together into one podcast is superb and all of us Oak Island fans uh, really be, um, are, are fit with your time and dedication making the show for us. Keep it up. Uh, Thank you, Mike. Um, And thank you, Lee. Uh, You mentioned, too, he writes, you mentioned about the new caisson going into Aladdin's cave and you being surprised. So was I. However, taking the whole episode and negative issues the team has faced, the garden shaft is off limits for updates while they figure out the water. They can't drill exploratory boreholes near for safety, and now the possible cave collapse. Yes, the new project will cost a small fortune. However, I think they are undertaking it to keep something interesting and big for the viewership, so they can squeeze more out of uh, squeeze out more episodes with new content. Take care, Lee. Lee, again, thank you so much for the kind words in the first part of that. Thank you so much for taking that all out or taking the time to write all that out. I really do appreciate it. I just love doing this podcast. I really do. As far as Aladdin's cave goes. Sure, it could be nothing more than a decision taken to fill hours of television programming. Who knows? But if that really was the case, I think we can all (laughs) sit around and come up with a few better and more entertaining ideas than dropping a can down into a natural cave. But again, I'm way ahead of my skis on this. Let's see if they can prove us wrong. Let's see what they find here. Thank you again, Lee. Great email. Keep those coming. Now... Last week, we heard from a listener named Corey. Corey did a lot of research and investigation into the Duke Donville expedition. Go back and have a listen to that because it really was impressive. and gave us a lot to think about when it comes to this particular theory. After reading that uh, email to you guys, I reached out to Corey, kind of wondering about the nature of his research. He answered with the following. Thank you, so much. Thank you very, very much. I'm not a student anywhere. I'm just a retired major crime investigator with the Canadian military police that has a passion for history and too much time on his hands. <laughs> a while ago, I sent some research about the 90-foot stone too. My interest in the area started with the show. When they uncovered the U-shaped structure in Smith's Cove and dated it back to the 18th century, I thought that someone had to have seen them making it. It began looking, I began looking at old maps of the area and found the truth about Merlegesh. That really piqued my investigator's drive and opened up a brand new rabbit hole about Merlegesh, Cornwallis, and the foundation of Halifax in 1749. The Duke Donville expedition was in 1746, so some of my references covered that period too. It's a really interesting story, and when I learned about it, I realized that the missing history needed to be put out into the world. I've slowly been working on some kind of publication for two years, uh, a discussion about publishing something along with James McQuiston, but it never got anywhere. Between you and I, now I asked him if I could say this, even though he wrote that, there are some really suspicious activities by Edward Cornwallis in Mahone Bay in 1749 and 1750. Merlegesh was destroyed in 1749 by William Clapham a militia officer sent by Cornwallis to kill any Mi'kmaq found around Halifax. Then there were three years before Lunenburg was founded in the next bay to the west. So any big project on the island could have been completed without too many witnesses or records between fall of 1749 and summer of 1752. Was Cornwallis looking for treasure? I don't know. However, there were a lot of really suspicious activities and coincidences around Cornwallis while he was governor of Nova Scotia, and the USAPE structure was likely built in that period. Have a good one, Corey. Uh, Corey, I, I think I speak for everyone here when I tell you that uh, we all have the time to listen to what you have to say here. <laughs> you know, just for some frame of reference here for you guys, Edward Cornwallis was, as I think Cor- uh, Corey mentioned last time, appointed governor of Nova Scotia in 1749 after a military career that involved combat in Austria and he played a big role in the Jacobite rebellion. Um, This was a well-connected guy and he was brought to Nova Scotia for the purposes of creating a foothold really in the area, um, you know, to counter French activities there. He founded Halifax, then engaged in a war with the local First Nations people in what became known as the Father Le Latreux War or the Anglo-Mi'kmaq War. So if we're formulating a theory here about something happening in the mid 18th century in Nova Scotia, it would be silly not to look into how Cornwallis might have been revolved. And also, Corey, if we go back to some of the things I said previously before about the location of the island, you've also put in there a possibility of how this island could have been somewhat remote enough, even at that time period. Corey, if you want to send more, here is what I would suggest. First, feel free to do so. Maybe give us a timeline. Uh, so we can get all the suspects in their proper context, uh, an idea of what this suspicious activity was and kind of be able to formulate a little bit more about the, you know, the tick of what might have happened at the at the time. I don't know if that's easy, easier said than done, uh, but use layman terms, uh, what theorists, you know, and ask, you know, questions about what theorists are getting wrong and what they should be looking into. Right. But again, this is all entirely up to you, my man. It's all volunteer work, just like for you know for all of us. But just keep it simple and not too long. You could send it as an audio file, too, if you like. If you don't want to read it, you just want to send an audio file, you're welcome to do that. Just email me about that. I can talk to you about that. Thank you so, so much, my friend. All right, folks. That's all for the emails today. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, send them along to island at gmail.com. All right, folks, it's time now to discuss Season 11, Episode 11 of The Curse of Oak Island called Plugged Up. And guys, let me just apologize now, this was not the kind of episode that offers much for me to add really. I'd wager to guess this is going to be one of our shorter podcasts for sure, and I might even get through the entire episode in just one segment here. Uh, I still thought it was fun to watch, it just wasn't much to talk about. So let's begin over at Lot 5. The team of archaeologists is back at work at the foundation slash circular feature thing. Marty comes along with a backhoe or moves some bigger stones to help them get a look at what's under them. But we don't see much more of that in this episode at all, so later on, Alex joins the archaeologists and helps them out by sifting through some spoils of their digging, you know, the piles of dirt. He pulls out a couple of pieces of what look like scrap copper. Uh, we don't really get any more analysis on them, so... There's not much more to add here. No idea what it is. And that's really all for lot five. I told you this is going to be quick <clears throat> over at the money pit. Excuse me. We are introduced to two guys, Ryan and Clint from a company called Minova Global who are here to help with the garden shaft. Their specialty is something called geofoam, which is like a spray foam. They will inject into the walls uh, of the shaft to seal off the water coming in. We've been hearing about this kind of thing for quite quite a few weeks now, so it seems like this is taking some time, this project, but you know, maybe this is finally a movement in the right direction. So next at the Money Pit, we see Terry Matheson and the drill guys continuing the exploratory borehole project, this time with a new hole called K6. Okay, just some quick background. They give you a lot of this information, but if you didn't see it... Um, A couple of years back, the guys put down one of those aforementioned huge caissons in this same spot. It was called H8. Now, without getting too much into it, because you saw it all there, at the end of the work on H8, the team thought that the caisson had hit something rather big and maybe even pushed it down a little bit. They all theorized that this to possibly be the chapel vault. Now, come to think of it, uh, you know, Maybe this is a good time to stop and do a little review here and dive a little deeper. Man, not sure we have talked much about the Chapel vault recently. uh, It looks like we might do so in the next couple of weeks. So let's talk about a little bit more now. Maybe this won't be a shorter podcast after all. Anyway, so it's the late 1890s and the Oak Island Treasure Company, led by Frederick Blair and William Chapel, are digging for treasure on Oak Island by drilling holes in the southern part of the Money Pit area. It's kind of very similar to what we see now, just only 135 years ago. During one of these drilling projects, down at about 110 feet, they found what they called puddled clay, the theory being that this is handworked natural clay that was used as a sealant to keep out water. Then at 122 feet down, they found a layer of wood and then four feet further, some iron. Now, these things are all in just trace amounts at the end of a drill bit, so just keep that all in mind. After the iron, they found nothing at all of uh, of any interest, all the way down to a depth of 154 feet when they start to find more. So I like to interject a little bit here this kind of thought that, you know, if you keep in mind the collapse of the money pit, it certainly has always kind of seemed to me that Just about everything they found above this 155-foot level, above 130 feet really, was probably searcher material dispersed by the collapse of the money pit. I don't know. That's just sort of a theory on my part, but it makes sense. Now, as they continue drilling down to a depth of 154 feet, things start to get pretty cool. First, they hit a material that they had independently tested. And those tests revealed that it was some kind of cement a lot of murkiness in the results of those tests. Then they drilled through more wood. And this is for a few inches. When they got below the wood, they found one of the most famous things ever found on Oak Island. On the end of their drill bit, in a little ball there, was a piece of parchment paper with the letters VI. This is the picture you see all the time. Now, just a bit further down after the parchment, they came across another obstruction. They theorized this to be small metal pieces. Finally, down at 158 feet, they found what they thought was some kind of soft metal. Uh, either of these could be coins or precious metals, right? I don't know. For some reason, <laughs> a- they were able to find out what these things were uh, when it was iron at the end of an auger and cement, but they couldn't find out any trace amounts of these things that we were hoping for. See what I'm getting at here? Um, and then they found another layer of cement which went down 161 feet. After that, the drill hit nothing for another 10 feet down. So now we're down to about 170 feet or so, until it stopped at something made of iron at 171 feet. What Chapel and Blair Blair would describe as an iron plate. Now remember, Chapel and Blair don't ever actually get to see any iron plate, right? They don't see these soft metal objects. They only theorize what they could be hitting here from how the drill feels and reacts from dozens of feet above and any kind of samples they can get off the auger, off the bit at the end of the drill, which for some reason didn't include any of these metals they're theorizing. So this whole thing they found here, right? Oh Well, first of all, they couldn't drill through the iron plate, so that kind of stopped the the project. Uh, They couldn't go any further down than that. And this whole thing became known as the chapel vault. And as you probably guessed by now, uh, no one in the last 125 years has been able to get through the supposed iron plate. They're never able actually to see the chapel vault. They were never able actually to recover anything or even prove the existence of the vault at all. Now, I'm not trying to throw water on the vault and all the excitement that surrounds it. I'm just pointing out that any such vault is just a theory. It's an estimation, and it's based on zero visual evidence. Again, I know I'm sounding like a skeptic, but it's important to keep that in mind. Everyone likes to act as though the chapel vault is some kind of proven fact. It is not. It is just another anomaly. Back to the episode, and the new borehole K6. The first core sample we see comes up with a stone or two in it, which Alex Lagina for some reason thinks might mean they could be from the booby trap flood tunnels. Not sure about that one. Alex, I mean, a rock underground in Nova Scotia. My guess is that's probably pretty common. But what do I know? Again, I'm a podcaster, not a geologist. Um, Now, later in the episode, we head over to the war room to discuss this project. And the one cool thing we see here is that the muon scans did, in fact, show some sort of anomaly right here in this spot under H8. So this prompted Ginger on the Patreon to ask, Laird was nodding. Do you think he believes they are right that they found the vault, Ginger. I, I think all of us are are worrying maybe a bit too much now about trying to read the tea leaves with what what Laird might be thinking. Um, it's just very very difficult to say that kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, the excessive nodding is one of the reasons why my wife doesn't watch the show anymore. Um, I do think that the the, there's been an editing choice a long time ago to show a lot of guys nodding. <laughs> and to me, in this instance, it doesn't likely say much about what Laird thinks of this at all. Because honestly, the way this editing works, uh, he could have been nodding uh, you know, to somebody who was asking him if he wanted pizza for lunch. But the editors make it look like he was agreeing with what was being said here in this scene because they've made this choice to add this sort of agreeable nodding that these guys all do. I don't know. It's a, it's a confusing choice, but you see where I'm going with it, right? You, you see what I'm saying here. Okay. Who knows? I mean, in the long run, who knows? But regardless of that, could this be the chapel vault? Well, sure. It could be what William Chapel and Frederick Blair thought was the vault. Uh, but you have to bear in mind a couple of things. They are not 100% certain that they are in the exact spot Chapel found the supposed vault. And they are even less certain of whatever Chapel actually did find was indeed in vault, right? You get what I'm saying? So again, no one knows for sure. Not even William Chapel So let's finish up over at the swamp. The guys are still digging under the road that runs along the south shore of the swamp, looking to find the end of the stone path. Now, did anyone else catch the narration referred to it as either, quote, a stone road or a ship's wharf? Is this kind of evolving here a little bit right before us? Did any of you guys remember them calling it that before? part In the back of my brain, I do kind of remember that, but thought I'd throw it out there. Interesting word choice. The guys find a piece of axe-cut wood, which is cool, I suppose, and then they bring Dr. Spooner down to the swamp to have a look at some strange characteristics of the dirt they're uncovering here under this road. Spooner says they're finding a layer of peat, which to him indicates that perhaps whoever made this road covered the sand on the beach, I suppose, in order to move things around, what the narration often calls valuables around more easily from on and off the boat and onto the road if they couldn't get the boat all the way up to the the road and needed to use the beach, right? Uh, You know, I mean, uh, if you've ever dragged something heavy down a beach, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here, right? Uh, My first question about this is, I would need, and what I would need answered is, when did this supposedly happen? And back whenever this was exactly was the beach and the water line in the same place that it is now. <clears throat> it's worth looking into. Now, it's here that the same scene where the show apparently picked out a scab of our friend uh, and patron Steve, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit there before just to get under Steve's skin a little bit, who commented during the live chat, why does it have to be something valuable? Wouldn't the need be the same regardless of the product or, or whether you were getting it on or off an island? He then later adds, they're saying over and over again that the road wharf was built to get a valuable treasure onto the island. There is no evidence of that. Steve, you're 100% correct. I mean, as we sit here, folks, nearly 230 years after the Money Pit's discovery, there is precious little evidence of anything valuable, to use that word, being on Oak Island at all, being hidden on Oak Island anywhere, anywhere on the island at all. So later on, we see Billy Gerhardt at the controls of his backhoe, still digging out the section of the road in between this, the this, the the this swamp and the sea. And Gary is detecting in these little, you know, uh, piles of spoils and he finds a little metal tack. Then soon the team yells to Billy Gerhardt to stop digging because they see chunks of pottery there under his bucket. It looks like these are all pieces from one item as they pull out that was just destroyed, possibly, by the backhoe here. <laughs> John on the Patreon appropriately commented, and I really do feel this way, Finding pot- quote, finding pottery with a backhoe is not ideal. Someone call, Lair ple- call Laird, please. And then Elizabeth wrote the same thing, quote, backhoe can cause so much damage, shovels or similar tools would have been more ideal for that. I have to admit, you guys are right here, both of you, Elizabeth and John. It did seem strange to me that they didn't stop the backhoe right as the first piece was found. They start doing this a little, and then they could start doing this all a little more carefully because a little bit later, they again find another piece of pottery, possibly destroyed by the backhoe. Uh, gentlemen, of of the fellowship, please, we're looking for clues here. We're not simply trying to dig a hole to look for treasure. We're looking for clues. A little bit more, maybe a little bit, let's be a little bit more careful, and a bit less in such a hurry is what it seems like to me. And and, and either way. It's just not a good look, right? I, it didn't to me for the show, it wasn't a good look to show the government and the First Nations and people who are worried about protecting the history on the island. So later we see some more digging and this time they find a log and a plank, and then some more wood, which they think they could have could have been part of a wall of some kind. There is a lot of talk now here about a wall Fred Nolan claimed to have find, found in this area. And that leads the show into the normal discussion about the swamp being man-made to hide a ship and yada, yada, yada. Let's put that man-made thing aside for now. We've discussed that a lot. You guys all know how I feel about that one. But Nolan's wall, I don't know that it's ever been actually called that, but we'll call it that here now. Was there a wall that Fred Nolan found in the swamp? And is this it? Well, you know, from what I see here, I can't really say for sure. I can't really even say this is a wall for sure. These images were not enough to determine if this was these pieces of wood were indeed part of a wall or not. Hopefully we get more images next week to make a reasonable determination. But listen, Fred Nolan made a lot of claims about a lot of things he supposedly found in the swamp. Personally, in all my years looking through this stuff, I've never seen a photograph of any wall in this part of the swamp uncovered by Fred Nolan. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist it means it's probably more likely a theory on his part based on some pieces of what he pulled out of there. But let's see what happens, right? If we see nothing more or hear nothing more about this possible wall, we know we have our answer. All right, that's it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, you can help out the show by becoming a patron if you think this show is worth five bucks a month to you, head over to patreon.com slash Oak Island and learn more. And if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the show uh, via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride music. Also, if you would like to help out the podcast in another way, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Thanks to everyone who's done that already. I really appreciate it. You can also follow the show on Facebook. Just put at Digging Oak Island into your search bar. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email, island at gmail.com. So, folks, it's crown time. Until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin Oak Island.